set this down. I'll look in 1 Samuel 13 and 14 tonight as we talk about the impact of one. And it is the focus of a battle in the Old Testament as we look at this Old Testament account. And I want us to parallel this to our walk with the Lord that we are in a battle as we spoke about this morning the importance of being able to see that there's a spiritual battle that we're always a part of, whether we realize it or not. And For a scripture reading, I want us to read the first eight verses of 1 Samuel 13. And so I'm going to ask if you'll stand in our God's honor as I read the text. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba. The Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, They hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord that we are not a people that scatter when we should stand. That we are not a people who hide when we should be bold in you. Father, I pray that you give us an awareness of you and just strengthen you, Father. Because our power is not in mere numbers. Our power is in the Lord. For your word says, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And, and so, Father, we just recognize that tonight as we take some time tonight and look at this battle and as we remember that when we step out with you, Lord, that things work as you plan. In Christ's name we pray, lead us, Lord. Amen. Um, my dad was in World War II, and I used to love to hear him tell stories. He actually was part of the, the 202nd Battalion, and he'd tell me about they marched into Germany. And my favorite story was uh, a plane came by strafing bullets, and actually one hit his helmet, and he said, Son, I didn't think I could jump at all, but I cleared a sandbag wall. He said, So, you know, it's amazing when you get a little motivation what can happen. 
But one of his favorite heroes was a World War I hero by the name of Alvin York. And he loved that movie, Sergeant York. And uh, Sergeant York was a man. There were uh, 13 soldiers in an area. And six were killed. Three were injured. And uh, the remaining soldiers jumped in and acted under his leadership. And he received all kinds of accommodations as they took over a German machine gun nest, which had 32 machine guns. They killed 20 German soldiers and captured 132 soldiers. One guy that inspired and moved soldiers took over an important part and saved many lives. Many of you have heard the name D.L. Moody, who started out as a young man who needed some direction. And a guy named Edward Kimball saw him and thought, you know, I'm trying to build a Sunday school class for you Sunday school teachers out there. And this, this young guy would be a good person to be in my class. And so he talked to D.L. and he worked with him on his... Uh, Full-time vocation, Edward Kimball was a shoe salesman. He sold shoes. But his heart was in reaching young people for Christ. And as a result of that Sunday school class, um, D.L. Moody came to know Jesus. And uh, in his day, he was you know, like the Billy Graham of, uh, of you know, our generation of, of evangelists that we know. And God used him in a powerful fashion. Just a Sunday school teacher like many of you guys. That just had a heart to be faithful and to teach. And God used him. Maybe you have and maybe you have not heard the name Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham was an evangelist. Uh, independent Baptist preacher. Evangelist in Charlotte. He held a crusade. Uh, there were many that came. But there was only one young person who came forward to receive Christ. And he thought he was a failure. But that one person was Billy Graham. You never know what God is up to when you follow Him. One person God can use to make an impact. Think about the young guy who was out in the fields taking care of the sheep, playing his, uh, you know, his instrument, you know, singing, and. Uh, God blessed him and he was going to be the next king. But his dad didn't even see it that he was the great warrior that God would use him as well as a musician and very talented. He faced a guy as a boy who was nine foot six by some scholars named Goliath. Goliath's charging at him with his armor. He had already said, you know, Saul, your armor's way too big. I'd look stupid out there in this armor. I can't even get around in, you know. Takes his sling, hits him right between the eyes. You know, as the old saying goes, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And then I think about Moses, who God called to deliver his people who were in slavery. And he said, I can't talk, Lord. I can't do this. But God would work through him in all of his inadequacies. And then Jonah. This guy, he was even rebellious. He tried to go the wrong direction. God swallowed him up by a big fish and he <laughs> ended up preaching and God using this one guy to transform lives. And in this account, it is a story of Jonathan and God working through Saul's son, Jonathan, who stepped out in faith and courage and God would work through.
through that courage. It's interesting as we, you know, look at the circumstances here in chapter 13, the verses that I read, it tells us that Saul was 30 years old and that he was king. And then he put together an army of 3,000 men, a special unit of fighters to go and to attack the Philistines. But the problem is, as we read in the account, he didn't really do his homework. He underestimated the enemy. And then when he came in with his 3,000 men to fight, it ended up being that there were twice that many men who had 3,000 chariots. And then it said foot soldiers that were like sand on the seashore. So many you couldn't count. And so they became afraid. Why? Because their leader had underestimated the enemy. And I say that as a warning to us. We must be careful that we don't underestimate the enemy. He's pretty smart. I don't like him, but he's smart. And he's had a lot of time. Now think about this. He can sit and he can watch you. And he's been looking. And he is aware of your weaknesses. And he's patient. I'm, you know, those of you that like to fish, uh, Tim, you know, I'll bait that hook and I'll put it out there and I'll see if Todd will bite it. And Saul underestimated the enemy. And as a result of that, they were surrounded by the power of the enemy. And what happened to people? They hid. They were frightened. They felt defeated. And so, what did he do? He tried to take the situation into his own hands. He tried to take a sacrifice to God that was not his place. All of this ended up being a disaster. It's what happens when we try to live without God. It's what happens when we make plans and we don't consult God. When we don't have a prayer life. When we don't have a life that's in the Scriptures. When we don't have a life that's connected to God's people. When we don't have a life that's on mission to share Jesus. Because we're called Great Commission. you know, To go out and to teach all that He's commanded us. To tell them the good news. And he tells us the great commandment, too, to love them. And that's what we're to be about. We're to be on mission in that way. And um, that keeps us together. It tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And see, that's what the enemy does, guys. He is very strategic And he's very patient. And he builds these strongholds in our lives. We're all different. So as he's building the stronghold in my life, it's probably not the exact same stronghold in your life. Because he's had time to watch and observe. And he begins building these strongholds. And the only way to keep these strongholds from blocking the Lord from our lives is to run to the Lord. It's using the weapons of the Lord. And, and that's Ephesians 6. And we'll take just a minute here. I mean, we could obviously preach a whole series of sermons on Ephesians 6. And many people, of course, have such a blessing. Uh, but he tells us about that armor. Now, I just want to look at it briefly. Verse 14, he says, Stand firm then with a belt of truth. 
buckled around your waist. Jesus said in his prayer, John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your belt holds together the armor so that you're in a position where you can fight. As, as it, would, it would take um, the garment and, and hold it together so there would be a freedom to be able to move uh, for battle. And, and so it is with the truth of God's Word. When our lives are marked by the truth of God's Word, it holds us together so that we are ready. And then He tells us um, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And awareness of the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that our heart is protected. Protected with that awareness of His righteousness and His alone, not our own. And with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Ready to move where we need to go with feet that are ready to share Jesus. And he says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. He shoots his arrows to harm us. And he says, take that shield of faith, that confident faith, in Jesus Christ to block those arrows and that attack. And he says, take the helmet of salvation. We're to guard our minds. As it says in Romans 12, um, 2, that we're to have our thoughts dedicated to God. To not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds And then the last one, which is the only offensive weapon, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he goes on. Often we don't connect verse 18 to the armor, but he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I thought of 1 Peter 5.8, you know, in the morning we're moving through 1 Peter, and 1 Peter 5.8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around looking for whom he may devour. Man, he is out there wanting to destroy people. He wants to take God's people. He can't steal your soul, but he can steal your influence if you belong to God. And and he can crush a reputation. It's so hard once that's destroyed. And he's in that process and, and he's doing that. He wants to take away our influence for the gospel. And he wants to keep people who haven't trusted Christ from finding salvation and eternal life. He's constantly at work. That's that's his work. That's his heart. That's his job. He's like a lion going around looking for when he can pounce. And do his deadly work. Um, Let's look at chapter 14. I'll spend just a few minutes first looking at the troops here. They went from 3,000. I want you to notice um, in our text that they jumped from 3,000 down to 600. And uh, we learn a few things as we go through the scriptures. Uh, We learn that they were unable to sharpen their weapons. I thought it was interesting because the enemies, the Philistines, they were the only ones who had the technology, the ability to have the blacksmiths to sharpen, and have spears and other weaponry that was superior. And it says in verse 20 of 13, So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. 
And it, it says the price was two-thirds of a shekel. It talks about the expense of it. But I have a feeling when they found out what they were going to use it for, they didn't want to sharpen it so that the enemy would have something to attack them with, to be in battle with. And we learn about Jonathan in this. And we learn about his armor bearer, which was a friend, a loyal friend and soldier that was with Jonathan that he could trust. He starts out in chapter 14. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So he and his companion set out to attack the enemy. Set out to work in that attack. And and just a brief view of the enemy in verses uh, 8 through 11. It says, Jonathan said, Come then, we'll cross over toward the men and let them see us. (laughs) If they say to us, Wait there until we come up to you and we stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come to us, we'll climb up because this will be our sign. The Lord's given in our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistine, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. Just a point about the enemy. Here come these two guys seeking to trust God. Completely overwhelmed, at least with the eyes that we see. Seeking to trust God and what happened? They begin taunting them. They begin making fun of them. Look at those guys coming out of the holes. They're yellow. Chicken. You know, I could just see a bark, bark, bark. You know, in our language, yeah, to ridicule them. And it made me think of how our enemy does this. It is amazing how the enemy is good at using our memories. Sometimes I'll just have those flashes of something I did and I'll think, that was so dumb. Or God, how could you forgive me for acting like that? Or for failing you here? Or for being such a weakling when I should be strong in you? God, how, how can I do that? And that's how the enemy attacks. And he was taunting them. And I thought, what a parallel that is. Because that's how he still works today to taunt us and to try to discourage us and to beat us down because that's the way he works. In the battle, uh, verses 12 and 13, we see as they move in, the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan, his armor bearer, come up and we'll teach you a lesson. (laughs) So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me and the Lord had given him the hand into the hand of Israel. And so they took off in obedience to fight. And I want to just point out a couple of things as we go through the text. First, there were obstacles. And there always are obstacles in life. And we see that um, in verse 4. It says, On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz and the other Sinai. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward there were these cliffs that were hard for them to maneuver through as they were to do battle and as they were to be faithful and oftentimes the enemy intimidates us and provokes us to fear as we think that we cannot win and we feel defeated and the victory um, is the Lord's we need to be reminded of that 
Jonathan saw this. And so he said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord's given them into the hand of Israel. And then it's, it's amazing as we read the account and we see that God gives victory to Jonathan and the armor bearer and this small group of men as God would work against this vast enemy as he would bring in victory. The two of them would take out, kind of reminiscent of Sergeant Yorka, 20 soldiers themselves. And then it says that the Philistines went in total this array. And I thought of this um, in the victory. Verse 15. Then the panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. We... um, and our own strength can't defeat the enemy and his powers. Matter of fact, I always think of James 4, 7. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I've always looked at that as the big verse as far as spiritual warfare goes. In that, look, before I start talking about spiritual battle, first thing I need to do is get on my face before God. I need to submit to him. I need to be broken before him. Then I can resist until I submit I don't have power to resist. It starts with submission. Then there's the power. Power comes when we submit to Him. When when He begins to teach us and He begins to work in us, He's the one that brought the panic. He's the one that bring brought the confusion. He's the one who brought forth the victory. And I think in our spiritual battle, as we commit to the Lord, and as we step out in faith, and as we are people who pray and people who do what He wants us to do, as we follow Him, He brings the panic to the enemy. He brings the confusion to the enemy so that we're able to find the victory that is in him. And, and, and you know, as you come to this, I think it's interesting, the last couple of verses here, 21 through 23, there is a resurgence. You know, you had all these people, they're hiding in caves, they're hiding in holes, they're hiding because they're afraid because of the vastness of the enemy, because of his power and, and how he's intimidated them. But that all changed when they saw the courage of Jonathan and the armor bearer. Pretty powerful. It says, um, the Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So the Lord rescued Israel that day and the battle moved on beyond Beth Haven. Reminded me that the power of one is very powerful. I've seen it in churches. I've seen it in churches through the years where there was a disagreement and where there was a, a, a division in a church that caused a lot of pain. And almost always I could count the number on my hand that would cause pain in most of the church family. Just a few. But by the same token, I've also seen where a few God's used to transform and awaken a whole body of believers. Because we're able to look at this one who's following Christ and it, man, it, it's just so encouraging. It, it, it just inspires. Uh, when we had gone um, a few years ago to see Lydia a church that we had served in. And uh, it 
was kind of, it was a blessing because this guy came up to me and um, I didn't get to know him until I had, we had moved or, you know, just right before we moved. And he came up to me, he hugged me and he said, you know, thank you for telling me about Jesus. And he said, don't you remember me? And I'm like, oh dear. No, I didn't. And then he said, you know, you, you know, you had the joy of baptizing me. It's terrible, you know, you think I'd remember that. It was awful, but he just hugged me and, and I found out that God had just really used him in that church. And they had been able to do a lot of uh, wonderful things. And here's a guy that, um, you know, I had the joy of doing something. It certainly wasn't me because I couldn't even remember it. But God was at work. Is he took that one that I had forgot, but God didn't forget. And God moved through the church and he worked through his people. And he can still do that through all of us. I don't know. You might be that one that God uses to wake me up, to stir us. You know, it says in Ephesians 5, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That that's the that's the call and that's the challenge. I love what Gypsy Smith, the evangelist, um, had said. A great quote. He said, "Do you really want to see a revival begin when the crowd nodded their affirmation?" Gypsy said, "And go back to your home, draw a circle three feet around in your bedroom." Then get down on your knees in the middle of the circle and ask God to convert everybody inside that circle. When you do that, you are experiencing the start of revival. What a challenge. Let's each of us go home tonight. Put you a circle in the middle of the room. Cry in that circle. God convert everybody in that circle. You see, because revival doesn't start with what He's doing in you. Revival starts with what He's doing in me. God begins to work when the Spirit of God begins to come this way. Because once He starts coming this way, as we look around, we'll notice He's going that way. As He moves around through all of us. He took the influence of this one guy in the pursuit of victory. And He can take the influence... And little old me, or little old you, for his kingdom. Let me close with this quote. I'm only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. What I can do, I ought to do. What I ought to do, by the grace of God. I will do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We're in a battle. Father, um, we need revival. We need you. We always have. And I pray that this might be the night that you show yourself to us, Lord. Um, Move in us. Move among us. Move through us. Lord, once we look up, we're able to look in. Once we're able to look in, we're able to look out. 
Father, do such a work in me, do such a work in us, that you, O God, might be pleased. Christ's name we pray. Amen.